Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast, summer replay edition. Um, these uh, kind of special episodes slash replay episodes, we're going to start wrapping them up um, over the next few weeks uh, and kind of get back to uh, new episodes starting in September. So I've been recording a few here and there this summer. Uh, I'm excited. We got a couple of really good ones uh, on the way and I'm really pumped to share them with you. Uh, but today uh, I'm replaying this specific episode because it was honestly one of my favorites to record. Um, Alexandra is just an amazing athlete and human, super down to earth, super humble, but she's done these just mind-blowingly incredible adventures on her bike. Um, and I just really enjoyed talking with her. I really enjoyed hearing about bikepacking and some of these longer uh, cross-continent races that she has done. Um, and also, I will never forget when she told me that she fixed her bike. She sat down in the middle of the road, had to fix her bike using nothing but a spork. And as someone who is not mechanical whatsoever, and when I try to fix things, ultimately it ends in five hours of me making whatever's broken way worse. Uh, I am just in awe of someone who can be like, you know what? My bike's broken. I'm in this race. I got to compete. I got to keep going. Um, I'm going to sit down on the road. I'm going to get the spork out and I'm going to like make it work, fix it, uh, put it all together. And I think that's amazing. Uh, obviously she, if you look up anything about her, you're going to read, uh, some incredible things. She's a wonderful human being, a wonderful adventurer. Uh, I really hope you all enjoy this episode, this replay of the podcast. Um, and yeah, I would be honored to talk with her again. This was our first episode of 2020. Um, so this was a few years ago at this point, but, but yeah, this was an awesome one. I, oh man, out of all the adventures that I've been able to do this summer, bike packing has been on my list and I have not yet, uh, been able to do that. So, uh, so yeah, so let's just jump right into it. This is the like a Bigfoot summer replay with the incredible Alexandra Houchin. I guess like kind of how I heard about you, I texted or messaged uh, a guy who's been on the podcast before, Scott Morris, who's really into bikepacking. And I was like, hey, I want to talk to someone who did the Colorado Trail race because like I'm fascinated by the Colorado Trail, but then like bikepacking in general just as like a topic. And he was like, you should contact Alexandra Houchin. She is riding a single speed and wears uh, steel-toed boots. And I was like, done. So that was like the most I knew about you at that point. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I know when you contacted me, you're like, Scott Morris said I should reach out to you. And I, like, I've only interacted with him a couple times um, through like track leaders' questions or whatever because I've been doing these ultras for a while. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I felt so cool. But he said to, that we should be... I'm talking, so I was like, yeah, for sure I'll do it. That's awesome. Scott's my, I always, I guess this, if this makes any sense at all, he's my kinda cousin, 
where okay his wait how did this work my uncle who like married into the family is his uncle but we we okay yeah it's confusing sorry no that's that's how it is in uh indian country too literally we'll be like at the at some event or something and my mom will be like that's your cousin and i'm like how and she's like so and so married so and so and so and so and so i'm like okay so it's like my 14th cousin but we're still cousins somehow yeah yeah that's awesome well welcome to the show i'm excited cool thanks yeah um colorado trails man i think it's probably like i love that one as much as i love the arizona trail but like they're both way up there for like technical technical riding like you're riding hard single track the almost the entire time you have a couple road detours but um it's so technical but it's that elevate you know i live in minnesota so like going into the elevation is like a whole nother like i think it's a mental game personally but like i love it for the technical and like the challenge of the elevation yeah have you ever had like really bad altitude sickness um, mate, like when I was like 21 or something, the first time I went to Colorado and got drunk, but, um, <laughs> that have like I, one like, beer will do it at elevation. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I I was like in, uh, winter park, like went to go skiing with some of my friends and we had like, I had a couple glasses of like grog or something. And I like died that night. <laughs> Um, and I had no idea, but otherwise, like, as far as like athletics and stuff like that go, I don't really, I've never really gotten sick, but I also like take, I try to take really good care of my body, especially those first like three or four days out racing, um, like drinking a ton of water, like for the Colorado trail race this year, it started, um, Durango to Denver. It switches back and forth every year. Um, so we started in Durango and that's when you like get up, you start in Durango and you like essentially climb 6,000 feet right off the bat. Um, and you're up pretty high and I just like didn't eat for two days. Um, cause I was so nauseated, but I drink like a ton of water. Every time I saw water, I was filling up my camel back. Yeah. That's a rough way to start. It's It's so hard. I mean, like so many big good strong racers showed up this year and like so many people drop out after after you get to Molis because you if you push too hard that first day you can't keep down food you can't and like you need to be able to eat and drink and kind of take it easy on yourself and I think so many people forget that about like such a hard race like the Colorado Trail yeah what's like I mean I've never done a bike packing event uh but like, what's the strategy? Because uh-huh. <laughs> like the Colorado Trail is what like almost 500 miles long. So what's like, what is the strategy to survive on it? Oh man, well like everybody kind of does it differently, and like I still, you know, I've been I've been doing this for a while, um, but I still feel like I'm learning every single time. Every single time I do it, um, I. Sp- almost always I start out at the back of the pack for everything. And I watch so many people just like blow up. So like they start so fast, they get going so fast, especially there's like a 10 mile road ride out to the start of the Colorado trail. Um, when you start in Durango, like I just remember watching people like zip off and zip away and like trying to ride all this really technical stuff that just is honestly fast. Like if you just walk it, 
you're going the same exact speed, but you're like saving those muscle. You're yeah. saving the muscle groups for like when you actually can pedal some stuff. Um, so I think like number one, I always bring more food than you think you need, and I always stop to drink water. But it's just like slow and steady, especially like for those the first day or two, like. That's when, if you, like, go too hard, too fast, your body, you get sick. Like, at least in my experience in in starting ultras, like, I get, it's like the ultra hack. Like, three or four days in, I, like, start uncontrollably hacking up, like, coughing up green and blue blue mucus. I'm like, what is in my lungs? (laughs) What's blue in there? (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, what color is this coming out of my body? And you're just like hacking, 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 and your nose is leaking, and you think you have pneumonia or bronchitis. So you just have to, like, take it easy on yourself and know that you're demanding a ton out of your body. But, like, slow and steady and drinking. I think drinking water is also, like, my secret weapon. Yeah. I drink so much water. (laughs) Well, it's hard, like, on the bike. Like, every time – I don't know. It's just – it seems hard on the bike to remind yourself to drink water. It, I don't know if that. Makes oh, sense. It, especially for the Colorado, it's impossible because you're like, at least you're like anaerobic <laughs> all the <laughs> yeah, time because yeah. you're like trying so hard. Um, but I think you just have to be like especially cognizant of it. I'm like, okay, I have to drink water every like hour. I make sure I take like at least a sip out of my Camelback. Um, this year I remember specifically because there was so much walking that first day. I, I swear to God, I walked like almost all day. Um, I just like, every time I was walking, I was just drinking as much water as I can, like 12 to 15 liters at least a day. Wow. That's cool. So how do you decide it- like sleep though? That's the thing. Cause I watched, there's a documentary on YouTube which I'm sure you've probably uh-huh. seen. I can't remember what it's called, but it was about the Colorado Trail. It was like 30 minutes long, like a short film. Oh, was, yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, and it's awesome. And I'm just like, how do they decide when to sleep and, like, where's a good spot? Like, do you just go until you're so exhausted? But then that seems dangerous on a bike, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do generally go until I'm exhausted. <laughs> now, like, I... I keep pushing my perceived limits because I've been doing it longer. And like, I know like, actually it's better on the Colorado trail because it is so technical. So like, I never ever like doze off ever on that, that trail. Like I could, I slept a lot less uh, during that race than I have some of my other races. And it's just like, you can't doze off. But like with the tour divide, some of these like long yeah. straight roads it's like you know three in the morning the most lonely hour of the day and you're like dozing off and you're like oh my god i gotta get off my bike otherwise i'm gonna die i don't know tip over and die yeah I mean... um but for some <laughs> for some of that stuff like i bring a lot of like lollipops um there's like little things that i've I've had people tell me that if you shout it, it wakes you up. So sometimes I'll just yell random stuff. What's the most random thing Um, you've yelled at three in the morning on a road completely by yourself (laughs) where if someone heard you, they'd probably be like, Oh my God, this is terrifying. 
Okay, so not like I don't. I pretty much only yell "yeehaw" because somebody <laughs> told me one time they're like, "That's what old cowboys like. That's why cowboys yeehaw is because it, it would keep them awake through the night when they were like going across the country for something." And, like no I don't even way. know if that's true. I want to believe <laughs> that's <don't>, true. <laughs> so I believe it, and I yell it. So like when I get tired, I totally like holler yip. Yeehaw as loud as I can because <laughs> I'm like, oh, if old cowboys did it, I do. Yeah. It's a proven but method no, if old cowboys did it. Yeah. Like, it has to be true. I think, I'm not even going to research it because it, like, works. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I like it. That's awesome. So, I do that. But I did have this crazy experience. Like I said, this year during the Colorado Trail Race, I slept less than I usually do, but my competition was so good this year. Uh, the woman that was behind me was like can pretty consistently like four hours behind me. Um, and like, that's really close. Yeah. That's so close in my brain. Um, so I was really, really tired. And there was this long pavement section. And I was like, Oh God, like I'm going to fall asleep. And um, I listen to, like, Pinsler Ojibwe lessons sometimes to try to learn how to speak Ojibwe. Um, and I was just, like, reciting some of the Ojibwe words that I knew. And I, like, see this horse, and he's totally just, like, prancing along the fence with me. And I'm, like, totally speaking to him in Ojibwe, like, the very few things that I know how to say. And finally, I get to, like, this little driveway intersection, and there's this, like, farmery guy in a straw hat just, like, looking at me, talking to this horse in, like, an indigenous Native American language. He's like, oh, my God, is she, like, cursing him? Or I don't, The way he looked at me was, like, crazy. And I also look crazy because I'm, like, wearing jean shorts and steel toe boots, and I have, like, dangly hoop earrings in. He, oh, he's got to be so confused by what's going on right now. <laughs> what, uh, what's the origin of the steel toe boots? That's so fun. So, like, uh, I used to weld years back, um, and I bought this really nice pair of, like, hand or, like, lo- made local boots from this company in Wisconsin um, for, like, welding school. My teacher said they were the best, and they had to be steel toe, and... I'm like pretty poor and I only have one pair of boots. So that's just what I start wearing. Um, when I go adventuring, like I, like I live in Arizona and I go on like bike packing trips all the time. And like, sometimes you get up into the snow or you have to hike through mud or I just want to like durable, reliable footwear that like I bought you know, from a local manufacturer and they lasted and they're just my only boots. That's awesome. So I just started wearing them on adventures and now they're like the boots. Does it feel like uh, your superhero costume when you're like lacing those up before a race? <sighs> I wish it did. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, where's my adventure boots? Like, you know, I'm, I mean, like I'm ready to go on an adventure when I wear them. They have great ankle support. I've worn them. I think I've had them for like five years and put some serious miles on them, and they still like they still hold up. They're great. They That's smell awesome. pretty bad, but. <laughs> 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 well, you know, like the steel probably keeps the smell out, right? Isn't that how that works? Yeah, or something. Yeah. No, I, I actually have found it awesome for like 
I'm a pretty sloppy descend. I like to ride as much as I possibly can, and I will bash rocks a lot with my feet. And with my when I have my steel toe boots on, it just don't even matter. So I think I'm a little more careless because I have like awesome footwear on, <laughs> um, which makes it like extra. I could ride most anything. Dude, you might start a trend for mountain biking and like now everyone's wearing steel toe boots. I hope so. It's pretty practical. Like this year on the Tour Divide, or no, actually, we'll just like keep talking about Colorado Trail. There was a ton of fucking snow on the Colorado Trail. Oh, this year was crazy. Yeah, this year was crazy. It was so crazy. I know. I went into it. I knew the conditions weren't even going to be that good because, oh my God. So right before the Colorado Trail, I did a bike race um, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It was like a 225-mile gravel grinder that was pretty tough. And that was the Saturday before uh, the Colorado Trail. So I did that. It, like, destroyed me. Um, I did a single speed, which it was, it's not a single speed course. Um, and then I rested Sunday. Cause I finished, it, it was like 22 hours, 24 hours. I can't remember how long it took me, but then I rested Sunday, got in my car, met my car or met my friend in Wausau, Wisconsin. And then we drove to Colorado, got there on like Wednesday night, parked outside of Molis. I like found a ride. I don't even know how we got all these logistics. I don't, left my car in Denver, got a ride to Molis Pass. And then rode backwards on the Colorado Trail to get to Durango. Oh, no. <laughs> so we like tested. Like I realized how much snow there was up there. It took us like seven hours to go 15 miles or something. I was like, oh my god, we're never gonna make it in time. So I like I <laughs> I thought there was like I was like I'm pretty sure I see a, a trail on my Garmin that like, goes down here. I'm gonna bail off the trail. He's like, well, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to ride the trail all the way to Durango. And he did. He totally did. But he also stayed up all night and then ended up scratching out of the race the oh, next, man. you know, a couple of days later. But there was not a trail. I <laughs> hiked through a river for like six hours, ended up like, I don't even know how I got out of there. I was pretty freaked out. I was like, what did I do? And there's no turning back now. Um, ended up in like this small town of Rico. Colorado and I was like riding my bike on the highway and some guy in the truck pulls over. He's like, Hey, are you Alexandra? I'm like, yeah. He's like, Oh, I've been like following your races, blah, blah, blah. He, like I apparently rode with his wife one time and I was like, Oh cool. Can you give me a ride? <laughs> he like, he like gave me a ride to uh, the nearest town and I don't even know how it all worked out, but it's like, he, he's like, I noticed boots. It's like, <laughs> No it's way! Like, That's your calling no. card. That's awesome. I know. I know. He's like random guy. Like I'm in some. I'm like in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, and he just like pulls over his truck. He's like, I need a boot. <laughs> I was like, That's so cool. <laughs> the funny part is, he probably was like, "This is someone who knows what they're doing, like really capable, you know, rider." And then in your mind, you're like, "Oh my god, I was completely lost. Like went down a random trail. Where am I?" Like that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it was totally that. I was like, oh my god, I don't, I didn't realize it was like ninety road miles all the way to Durango. I was oh, like, no. I'm gonna have to ride a single speed mountain bike ninety miles on the pavement. Oh. It's gonna be dead. Oh. But it, 
it all ended up working out. I rode my bike for like 15 miles. It was great. (laughs) So how many people, how many people like start the Colorado trail race? Uh, I don't even, I don't remember this year. Um, 70 maybe this year, 70 or 90. There, there is a cap on it. Um, just because, you know, there's, that's a lot of people on this like big trail. Cause there's so many people hiking it too. Um, and I get that. Like, I feel so, dang, I'm always so nice to those hikers out there. Cause like by the time I'm going through, you know, there's at least like 10 people, if not more ahead of me, like, and then however many behind me there are, so I'm like, thanks guys. I'm so sorry. Every, mostly everyone's super cool out there, but oh, yeah. I think like I don't know. Let's just go with seventy or so. Yeah. Nice. Um, but I feel like half of the, at least this year, like half of the people drop out. Yeah. So at I, least I I kind of read about that. Like, what what's the thing that's taking them out? You know, you said going out really uh, hard and like going out way too hard, which is I feel like that's a, such a common thing for any endurance race is you get a, a lot of people just taking off like crazy. And I'm like, oh, I always I always have to like mentally tell myself too because that temptation's always there where it's like, oh my gosh, totally. I'm never going to pass these guys. But then you realize like, <laughs> no, like you're using a much smarter strategy, especially if the race is like 500 miles, you know? <laughs> right. It's like days of time. It's like, you know, it's days and days of like, <laughs> You got to remember, but even if you go out too hard, I think a lot of this, like it's these expectations and egos, um, that get us too. Cause you're like, Oh my God, I anticipated being uh, so much further by this time of day mm. or like, I, I think at least in my experience, what I've done for some of these bikepacking races, especially when I first started out, I'd like look at people's times and be like, okay, you know, so-and-so did it in this many hours and so-and-so did it that many hours and not realize that I was like nowhere near the athletic caliber of those people. But like seeing that the top, you know, 10 people are going this fast. I'm like, Oh, I totally got that. And when I first started, I really didn't. Um, so I think it's like being okay enough to be like, okay, I need to go to sleep early. And so what if you lose a couple places but like everybody gets tired and everybody needs to sleep at some point. Yeah. Um, just like rest yourself, eat some food and get back out there. You don't have to go like super fast. Yeah. Forward, yeah. If, like if you're going forward, you're going forward. <laughs> what are your like non racing, like non biking, uh, friends and family? Like, what do they say when you're like, Hey, I'm just going to real quick, uh, do the Colorado trail or the tour divide. And by real quick, I mean over a few days. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, it's interesting. There's like different levels of understanding. So when I talk about, like I'm doing a 160-mile bike race at the the end of um, uh, December, December 27th. Um, And I was talking to somebody about that, and he's like, oh, that's farther than it takes for me to drive to Minneapolis, and that takes me like three hours in a car. (laughs) Like, oh, so they, they like, kind of, some people kind of get it. Some people have absolutely no idea. You know, like, when I talk about racing from Canada to Mexico, like, yeah, that's really far. And somebody recently was like, you know what I never thought about weather? You know, you just picture it, like, sunny every day and warm every day. 
but like you forget about wind and snow and hail and etc. Flooding, sometimes bridges and stuff are closed. It's like you know, you don't think about those things. Yeah. But mostly everyone thinks that I'm like absolutely crazy. <laughs> well, what like what brought you into this sport? And I know the journey's probably like way longer than a podcast could even like capture you know but like what eventually because i don't know sometimes when i'm in a race i always i i do think about like isn't it crazy that all of my experiences led me right here right now to this moment and even if i'm like suffering it kind of like i don't know kind of like grounds me a little bit and and makes me appreciate what i'm what i'm doing if that makes sense yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And, like, there's so many different answers that I could give you. And, like, there's so many, like, intimate, personal, and emotional things that go with it. But I think, at least in my experience, what it all boils down to is, like, I spent a long time, like, bike touring. I've been bike touring for a lot of years. And I stopped as I started getting older. Um, I My friends, you know, started buying houses and having real jobs and, I stopped being able to as easily find people to go with me and I go by myself and it was okay, but I missed having like that relationship with other people. Um, so I was like, okay, I think I'll just start signing up for races. Cause at least like I might see another biker on the trail and then it turned into like my first race I did. I, it was a Boise smoke and fire. And I finished, the only two people that beat me was one guy on, like, the skinniest tires ever and another guy who's, like, 70. And everybody else in the entire race beat me. I had, it was, like, the hardest thing I ever did, and I thought I was going to die, and it was the worst. But I had made all these, so I had made so many friends just, like, in passing or riding together, like, at the restaurants or whatever. And I started just, like, wanting those people around because they made me a better version of myself and as I started like getting stronger and uh, uh, learning more and getting better at it I started riding with even stronger people that were faster and then people like at the end of races would be like oh I know you're really good at like hike biking and I'm going to be a lot better hike biker now because I saw how much you walked or I can be like oh yeah I chased you up that hill and it just became about for me anyways, like the community of people who are seeking out how to better themselves in whatever, however better way, you know, like athletically, perseverance wise, whatever kind of battles you overcome in these long races. Yeah. What do you think it is? Cause I've had that same experience too with the, you bond with someone so deeply and you know, uh, I look back on it. I'm like, I only knew that person for like a few days, like, yeah but i feel like super connected to him even to this day and this was like i mean for a couple different examples going through my head but like even races i did years ago i still kind of am like oh yeah i remember that guy and like but what is it about like a long endurance race that draws people to one another right and i don't know and i think about like specific people i i have a lot of specific people i can really remember like sharing these moments um, I had this pretty intense day with this 
I don't even remember his name right now. <laughs> um, but there's this this guy who he is just like fast and strong, and he was on a geared bike, and he passed me on the Tyrrell detour on the road, and I ended up catching up to him in the the hill climbs. And I was so used to like burning people. Anytime I climb hills on my single speed now, I just lose all the geared riders. And like by that time, we're like tired, exhausted. It's the last day of the race, and all of a sudden, I get on my saddle and I'm climbing. And I expected to like see him way behind me, but he was like climbing like a single speeder on his geared bike, and it was just like the most magical moment. And we rode together for like the next six hours, and then this thunderstorm came, and I think it's just like you're exhausted you're vulnerable, you like feel like you can't do it, and then all of a sudden you see somebody and you're like, oh, if this person can do it, like, why can't I do it? And it keeps you, like, going in a way that, like, I think most of us would kind of throw in the hat on our own. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, like, the most magical, intimate experiences that I've had. It's just, like, with these people who I would never otherwise talk to hang out meet probably yeah well i wonder if it's just, just like, like you're like so mentally and physically just worn out or you're just driving like you're driven you're going to this like you're just so like uh goal oriented i wonder if that has something to do with it where it's just like allows you to like be yourself with no like weird like i don't know trying to like you know how it is when you just meet someone normally you're like oh like it's very official or whatever but when, when right. you're out on the trail it's just like oh we both smell terrible and uh <laughs> we're covered in mud <laughs> exactly well and like thinking in terms of these like long-term races like the first day or two i don't develop those like really intimate relationships it's like after day three or day four when you start realizing like some of you guys are at the same fitness and I start seeing the same people day after day and you know how hard you're trying Yeah. and you just like gain this immediate respect for this other person. You're like, they're trying hard too. And I think that's super badass. And yeah. you start to like really respect somebody like a lot. And I'm like, okay, I really respect this person. I'm inspired by this person. And then they like keep, surprising you keep seeing them you're like oh god that person like passed me and i'll never see them again and then like six hours later you're like hey what are you doing like pooping in the bushes or something <laughs> yeah like no. oh god you're a human too <laughs> <laughs> but i respect you you're like i've drawn so much inspiration and you're pooping in the in the trees right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally i think it's like honestly it's the community and like how much you build your own self up by being like other people being the best versions of themselves. And you're just like leaving all the, all the shit talking, like you leave every bad thing behind and you're just like, you want to beat this person, but you also are like happy to have somebody who knows what you're going through. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, it's, I think another aspect is like, you guys all go on the same trail. Like everyone goes through the same obstacles, you know? So when you get to a point further in the race where you see somebody, you're like, yeah, it's exactly that. Like I've gone through this, this person's gone through the exact same thing as me. 
like exact same trail and it just is this like bonding experience i guess right and you're like at the same exact level of fitness and you like at least for me um i spend most of my winter thinking about and training for ultra season and I know how much time and energy I put into it outside of like that actual moment of the race. And I feel ultra connected to these people because I know that they also are like, you know, taping how many days it is until the race is away. So they're like bathroom mirrors and stuff. Like we're all crazy obsessed about this same thing. So like, let's do it. I don't know. It's so, (laughs) it's, the people are like the coolest part about it. For oh me. yeah. 100%. Well, so take us back real quick to the very first, you said it was the Boise smoke and fire. Yeah. Boise smoke and fire. And I think like, it'll probably forever be my, like, like it's like my, you know, like my first boyfriend, like my first love <laughs> I, that race, like blew my mind away with how hard it was and the way that it, so I fell in, I fell into that race kind of in a really intense and emotional way for myself. I had earlier this this summer, I had ridden my bike from Tucson all the way to Banff. And then my goal was to race the Tour Divide back down. But I spent two months like doing the craziest adventure up to Banff. And it was like the most fun bike trip I'd ever had in my life. I was with this guy that I was like madly in love with and I didn't want to break off from riding with him. So I stayed with him way longer than I expected. Um, and then I made it to Banff, but by the time I made it to Banff, I had like 200 bucks left in my bank account or something. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get all the way to Mexico, but I'm going to try it. And I needed new bike parts and I needed new tight. I needed all sorts of new stuff. And like, I finally made it across the border and I tore my sidewall descending uh, Galton Pass. And I like tried, I tried so hard to like tape it together, trying to get it to work. And I just like didn't have enough money to even buy a new tire. I was like, uh, so I scratched and I rode my bike. Um, my sidewall held up for like six months after that, by the way. (laughs) But, um, I rode my bike, um, down to Boise to catch a, uh, I could find a cheap bus ticket from Boise. So I'm hanging around in Boise for a couple of days waiting for my bus to leave. And I pop in at a bike shop and they're like, oh, we have a bike packing race in September. Uh, it's called the Smoke and Fire. You should come. And I was like, oh, okay. And it turned out that it was over my birthday weekend. I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I went home and like didn't know how. I didn't have any money. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get to Boise, but what I'm going to do that year it's redemption for scratching on the tour divide is race in eight races, eight races in my 28th year of life and redo the tour divide. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start training early, do the smoke and fire. I had been like put in contact. I reached out to the race director. I'm like, Hey, I can't really afford to like fly or drive with my bike. Um, do you know somebody I can ship it to? And I, he ended up like hooking me up with this guy he let me ship my bike to his house and then he picked me up from the airport and like dropped me off. And like during the race, it took me a lot longer than I thought. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to catch my flight home. I think I'm going to have to scratch. And he's like, if you just leave your bike in my backyard, I'll box it and ship it to your house. Oh, that's awesome. Like this random guy 
that I had just, right? Like, I just met him during the race. So I, like, got into town at, like, 3.30 in the morning, um, called a taxi, asked the taxi to, like, bring me to this address that this guy wrote on a card. <laughs> I left my bike in his backyard. I was like, I hope that gets it. I got to the airport for my 6 a.m. flight at, like, 5.15. So, wait, you finished the like, race oh. at 3.30 and then made a f- your flight? And then I made my flight. <laughs> <laughs> That's some, like, extra was- motivation at the end, you know? Oh, my God. And my Garmin died at, like, two or three miles from the finish. I was like, oh, my God. It was, like, the mess. I didn't have any lights anymore. Those ran out. It was a super, like, moony night. It was, like, every possible thing that had gone could have gone wrong did. But there's, like, this divide in the highway where you see a sign that says Boise 15 miles down down this hill. Or, like, the Garmin route has you go. It's, like, another 40 miles or something. And I'm like, I got to finish. I'm so close. <laughs> you know, I had, like, 12 hours at that point. I was like, I got this. I got this. And I ran out of light and ended up having to walk. And it was just, <laughs> it was so bad. But I finished. Even, like, pretty close to last. But I finished, which was, like, already redemption for me quitting the Tour Divide. And I was like, okay. One race down, and then throughout the year, um, I ended up running my first marathon that year, and I did a canoe race. I did all sorts of crazy stuff. That's awesome. Well, so if yeah. you if you hadn't been signed up for seven more races after that, mm-hmm. do you think, like, just pretend like that was the only race you were planning on doing that year, would you have signed up, I, I mean, would you have continued down this path or is that like I was already committed to these seven other things. So even though that was kind of a rough experience, I really loved it. And, you know, it was more that I really wanted to do the tour divide again. And I realized that doing it alone, my first time as racing it, cause I've toured it before and I always had a friend with me or a partner and like so much of, cycling is like the community for like for me the community and the relationships that I have around it um it's not just like the riding it's the people and the intimacy that the act of riding brings so like I didn't have fun I didn't have any of the fulfilling experiences that I get out of hiking doing it by myself so I was like okay I'm gonna go next year for the grand depart but I just wanted to like be more fit I think than I thought I was so like that smoke and fire race horrible horrible I was like (laughs) okay well if I can do that yeah I can run a marathon like that can't be that hard it was that was hard too yeah that's wasn't like was it just different challenge at that point it was super different well um there was this guy that had inspired me my buddy um Peter uh we worked at Whole Foods together, but he was this like crazy ultra runner, um, doing all these crazy ride runs. And he just has like a pretty normal life, but like, I've never seen somebody so passionate about running. And he was talking to me about the, um, whiskey, like the, it was, a uh, in Prescott, I can't remember. It's like the whiskey road marathon or whatever. Okay. Like, um, start at like five or six thousand feet and then climb up to eight thousand and then turn back 
can do it all. But I was like living in Minnesota, training for my first marathon. That was in May in Prescott in the elevation. And it murdered me. My only goal was to finish under six hours. And I, I did. It was like 5.52. There you go. Um, right? But, like, I didn't know what 3,000 feet of climbing in a running race was like. And it was murder. <laughs> I, it was so hard. I, like, I don't know how y'all do it. It's so impressive. What about the uh, the canoe race? What was that like? <laughs> it was also so hard. So only, <laughs> like... I had I had planned on doing the Trans North Georgia, but something felt like I knew I wasn't going to be able to make it out there to do that. Um, and I was like out with some of my old bosses, like my old boss um, from when I was a nanny, and like some of his like fifty year old friends, and we're all having beers, and they're like getting super jazzed about this canoe race that's coming up. I'm like, what? <laughs> like that's a thing, and. Um, they're like, oh, we have an extra canoe. Like, all you need to do is find a partner. And like, oh, you'll totally do fine. I've like only leisurely like like canoed for fun. Um, so it's like me and my buddy who have never canoed together. We're like, okay, let's go do this 15 mile canoe race. Didn't sound like it was gonna be that hard. And like, we get out into the water and they blow the like the race gun and we're like facing backwards. <laughs> like, don't know how to straighten the canoe out. <laughs> It was, it was so bad, but I was laughing so hard because I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know canoeing was hard. It's a fun, like just doing something that you have no experience in with your friends. Because me and my buddies did. Uh, we've done a few adventure races, and I remember uh-huh. the very first one. We were so pumped about the canoe. We're like, dude, we're gonna get to the canoe. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. The current will take us. It'll be fine. And we get to the canoe. And I think we had to, like, strap our bikes on the canoe somehow. So we, like, strapped our bikes uh-huh. on, and we start canoeing. And literally within five minutes, me and my friend were like, dude, canoeing kind of sucks, doesn't it? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and then we just cussed out canoeing for the next two hours, basically. Right? And that's how it is. Like, we literally got passed by a guy on a stand-up paddleboard, <laughs> and, like, we couldn't catch him. <laughs> we're like, what is wrong with us? You can just... You know, you see him, and, like, in a canoe race, like, a foot is actually a really long way to be ahead of somebody. And we're like, oh, well, let's get him. And we're, like, paddling, paddling. And this guy is still pulling away from us. Like, <laughs> we suck, dude. <laughs> That's so, hilarious. It was, fun. it was super humbling. It was super rad. Yeah. Um, it's, it's cool. And then you – but then, like, doing these – all these different types of, of events, like, I feel like you do draw – you know, lessons that kind of, you know, are overarching, like it's going to show up no matter what, you know, even if it's a canoe race for 15 miles, I'm sure you learned something there that you could use on tour divide. And, you know, like maybe it's even like just laugh at yourself sometimes because it's ridiculous. Yeah, because uh, you're not trained, and these people are in, like, carbon fiber canoes. Um, <laughs> so, like, that's a thing. But, no, I think, um, like, signing up for all of these other races where, like, I didn't really know how or what I was supposed to be doing just, like, really helps humble you, knowing that you're not that good. You know, you can't be that good at everything. But if you can be, like, chill and humble about it, you can, like, learn how to be a better athlete in these 
things because like at least for like ultra races it's not just like having good bike fitness um it's about having a strong core and like i ride a single speed so i need like my triceps were the most were in the most pain like when i did the tour divide this year I expected my butt to hurt or my legs to hurt. It was my triceps. I was like, I didn't even know that I had triceps. So, it, like, doing all these other things helps you become a more fit athlete. And, like, the more fit you are multidimensionally, like, the stronger, the longer you can ride, the longer it takes for you to get fatigued. Yeah. Well, I think. can we talk a little bit about Tour Divide? Because, I mean, that obviously okay. is, like, one of the most epic biking events in the country um yeah and i saw that you set a fixed speed record on it is that correct yeah i set the thing the women's single speed record this year that's awesome congrats thank you it was like my i just wanted to get faster than 19 days i was like obsessing about it uh for a while and i was really trying um i trained all winter for it um as much as i i don't really i don't have a trainer I don't I have like a job I have a I work full-time and I go to school full-time and most of the time I'm in a relationship um so it's like juggling all these real life things and trying to train except I don't know how um but I'm learning and I think what I did this year paid off um as far as like going into the 2019 race um, I had some real big, real good days in the beginning. I think it was up until like day nine or so, like half, about halfway through the race, I was leading the overall single speed race. Dang. I was like beating all the guys on single seats too. Like what the hell is going on? <laughs> this is not like, I used to weigh 300 pounds. So I was like, I'm not an athlete. Like what is going on? Like all these people must've gotten like food poisoning or something. What what's what is it about single speed that that draws you to that? Oh, I'm now like a hundred percent switched over to single speed. Um, for like obvious there's like a million reasons behind everything I think that I do. But um one of the things that I've really come to like learn in this life is that almost everything like you're told isn't like isn't true at least everything I was told when I was growing up was like not true and like questioning what somebody tells you um is a lesson that like can permeate into like the rest of your life so like I always was told that like geared bikes are faster and geared bikes are better and then I was like okay I'm gonna get single speed and this is all I have and this is all I have got and so it's just me and my bike and like there's no excuses and I learned that, like, a single speed can be faster. And it just, like, reminded me that, like, you should question everything and find out the answers for yourself. Because, like, that, um, like, having, it costs less to have just a single speed bike, but it's just, like, so intimate and wonderful. It's so wonderful. Plus, I always used to be like, I suck at climbing. I suck. I'm the worst. And then you get a single speed bike and like 99% of the time I'm the first one to the top of the hill. 
Really? Whenever, like, if I if I start at the base with like a bunch of geared riders, I climb so much faster than I ever did. What? Why is that, that? Like, I'm a like, I've never tried to ride a single speed bike. So what? Like, can you kind of explain you, that? Because, How does that work? Sure. Yeah, you have two options. You can either ride your bike or you can walk it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's like no downshifting. Um, when you're on a geared bike, you know it gets too hard, and you just downshift, and then you're you're spinning a lower a lower gear ratio, and you're just like spinning out. So you're getting fewer turns for like every revolution that you're pushing. But when you're on a single speed, you have like this one gear, and that's all you have. And if you feel like quitting then you have a long way to walk so i'm just like okay this is what i have and i go literally until i can't and like most of the time like i get to the bottom of the hill i'm like okay i'm just gonna go as high as i can and then walk and so many times like for the tour divide most of it's uh rideable um but I get to, like, I can see the summit. I'm like, well, now I might as well ride to the top because I can see it. Yeah. No way. Okay, so that makes sense to me because every time I, like, downshift into a lower gear and then I start spinning crazy, it just gets hard again because I just slow down. Right, yeah. And it's just like you breathe heavier and you're just spinning, 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 then it gets harder and then you have to downshift and you're just slowing down the entire time. But, like... That totally I don't, makes and sense. It, you just blew my mind. Right? <laughs> mind blown. Well, and, well, and like... Yeah. I have a no, pretty non-traditional, like, a not normal cyclist body type. Um, I'm, like, a big framed person with, like, pretty big muscles. And I've found that, like, I can put... I can generate a lot of power. Like, I do... I deadlift and squat quite a bit. Um for my training i'm like really strong i don't have like the greatest cardio um i so i don't like spinning super a lot i'd rather like get on my saddle and push a really hard gear because i have big legs and like if i can just push a harder gear i can climb a lot faster and just get the hill fucking done with or the mountain or whatever it is yeah yeah i was and it's over (laughs) i was doing uh ultra run and I just got randomly, just like we were talking about earlier, I started talking to this guy, this older guy. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. I remember during it, we were going up this hill and it was like, it was a long, it was probably like three miles up this hill. And the whole uh-huh. time he's like, all right, I'm going to tell you the secret to ultra running. And I was like, okay. And he's like, but I'm going to tell you when we get to that rock right up the trail. I'm like, all right. So we get to the rock up the trail and he's like, all right, you ready for the secret of ultra running? I'm like, yeah, tell me. And he's like, I'm going to tell you about it when we get to this tree up the trail. So we go up there and then I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I see what this guy's doing. He's like Jedi, like Yoda, like teaching me the way, you know? And then he does this for like the next 10 minutes. And eventually we got to a point and he just goes, secret to ultra running is keeping your electrolytes balanced with water. And I was like, what? (laughs) I thought you were doing a whole thing. But I don't know. Either it was the funniest joke of all time to him, or or what. But I was. It just made me laugh because I was like, I, "It's the what you just said, where you're like, oh, I can go a little bit farther, and then you're like, oh, I can. I guess I can go a little farther. Oh, I'm almost to the top. You know? Yeah, I might as well. Like, I mean, I guess that is the secret. It's just like 
breaking it into <laughs> yeah. realistic smaller things. It's not like Canada to Mexico. It's like to the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. Or no. exactly. to the top of that thing. It's it's like the or, secret of an endurance race is to endure. And you're like, oh, yeah, duh. Yeah. That's all you got to do? Like, yep. <laughs> it's not that hard. Like, do the best you can. There's always somebody better. Um, so, like, be humble and chill about it. But fucking try hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. We were talking right before we started recording about just how crazy busy real life is. And then right? telling people that you're going to go, you know, like you said, this week, you're going to go ride 160 miles uh, through Wisconsin, which would be very cold, I must add. But but like in your <laughs> right. mind, you're like, that's easier. Like, all I have to do is just keep going. And all the other things on the to do list go bye bye for a, a couple of days. Right. That's like the easiest, best part. I spend nine months out of my life like yearning and waiting and anticipating ultra season and i think like at least for me so much of like having a normal real life um keeps me like committed out there so like when i want to quit i'm like what else would i be doing like if i stop racing right now like i've been waiting all year for this what else would i go home and do nothing like i've been waiting for this i wanted i've been praying for this so like even if it sucks even if everything's like going to hell or I can't go any further. Like, I, this is a, I, this is what I live for. This is what I want. I've been, that, that's what gets me through my home life. Like, okay, school is really busy right now. This week is so hectic. But like, oh yeah, I remember like ultra season is coming. Yeah. <laughs> like it'll be here soon enough. You'll get to see all your friends and you'll get to eat like all the crappiest food in the entire world. And you get to see like the sunrise a hundred million times in the most beautiful places like that gets me through day-to-day life and then when i'm out altering i'm like this is so much easier than <laughs> you know regular life back home yeah yeah one 100 that i mean and it's funny because i think people outside of who have never done an ultra event like i don't know if they'd understand that and if you, if you trying to explain it to them is like no, like the the day to day grind is is harder. Like I promise you, it's there's more stuff. Yeah, like, your brain's more exhausted by the end of it. That's what's it's so hard, especially like for a really long time. I struggled with like coming back from my racing season or bike touring or whatever I was doing um, for the summer, and then come back to real life, and I just get this like soul crushing depression where I was like. I had a purpose out there, you know, you wake up and go and you have to like get to this town or get to water or like these things that like fundamentally keep you from dying. And here I just like go to my sink and turn on water or I go to my fridge and like everything, I can eat everything. And it's just like so much harder (laughs) to be a regular human than yeah. it is to be an ultra person <laughs> um so to to wrap up a little bit just a couple of quick because i mean you've done so many races and there's like so much i i wanted to ask about for sure but just to kind of wrap up a just a series of quick questions so sure what has been the most challenging moment for you physically during one of these events um I definitely would have to say that the push 
on the Colorado Trail, the push from Durango up Kennebec all the way over 10 miles, not 10 miles, that's further, um, Cataract Ridge, Indian Ridge. By the time, by the time you get to Slumgullion Pass, is like, that was like the hardest push of my entire life. And I think that was like two and a half, I don't even remember how long it took me, but it's like, you're up, you get up to 13,000 feet. And for this year, that was like the hardest. I've never been so exhausted. So felt so weak. So like, Oh my God, I can't do it. But I was like, like I, I rode with, uh, who, who's now one of my really good friends from this, uh, my buddy, Andrew, um, and this guy named Mocha, um, and it was all three of us just, like, dead quiet doing the hardest physical thing I've ever done. It was so crazy. But you get yeah. to the you get to the high point on the Colorado Trail, and you just, like, take a picture, and you're like, oh, my God, okay. Only a couple <laughs> more hours until I get to some pavement. Everyone's picture there is smiling, but you know inside their <laughs> brain they're like, God damn it. It was that was like the hardest thing, and like I did, I've done it. Both, I've done the Colorado Trail both ways, and like hands down, starting in Durango that first day, first two and a half, day, one day, however many long that push was, was like the hardest physical. You can't breathe. You're exhausted. It's like it was that's oh, hard for sure. The well, hardest, and it's funny because that uh, short film that I watched, they are going the opposite way. And uh-huh. every single person there, like interviews, like probably like twenty different people at a, at that point, and they're all uh-huh. like, "That was the best part of the race. We cruised down for so long." <laughs> yeah. And you describing it, I'm like, "Oh, she went the other way. The other way is oh, way yeah. worse." <laughs> the other way is like hard. It's like humbling, and you really got to be like taking care of yourself. Plus, like. I, I got to it this year and it was like perfect weather. Um, but like it is exposed and it's scary. It can be so scary for so many people if you get a thunderstorm or anything. Oh, that's so, like, terrifying. Hands down, that is like the most intense. And it's like, especially if like the outside, like if nature is making you question anything, like feeling rushed would even make it harder. But I think that's like out of all the crazy bike packing, bike stuff. Um, racing wise, that was like the hardest physical thing I've ever yeah. done. So this, the answer to the next one might be the same then. Uh, was there, has there been any moment that's been really challenging mentally where you considered, you know, throwing the towel in or anything like that, that you ultimately like push through? Um, no, I mean like, that, I feel like that happens like, like once a day um now that i'm like a little bit more seasoned in it now i kind of know what to expect or what to like what's going to come but i do remember like the tour divide uh the year the first year that i won it for the ladies um i got to um uh i got to now it's like one of my favorite parts but um I ended up like I had busted a spoke and earlier in the race and I had wrapped it around another one, but I forgot about the little tiny nub that was like close to my cassette and the 
the spoke ended up bending into my cassette and my wheel didn't spin freely anymore and I couldn't get the spoke out without taking my cassette off. Ooh. And I'm like, oh, it's Brasso's Ridge. I was on Brasso's Ridge, which is like a pretty technical, bumpy, high part of the Tour Divide. And I was like, I can't, I can't ride my bike anymore. Like, what am I going to do? And like my number one advice to people is like when they want to quit, just sit down and eat some food. So I like, sat down to scoop some peanut butter out and I like looked at my spork I totally used my spork to get my cassette off <laughs> you had like the it movie like, moment it's like in a movie where <laughs> yeah, you're like it was, like, it was so <laughs> epic <laughs> so I totally got my spork out and took my cassette off and like got the spoke out and like didn't even end up replacing the spoke for like the rest of the race I just rode without that missing spoke and like I was pretty intense on giving up there. Oh, I had a pretty epic want to give up in the, uh, the dirty Kansas XL this year. Um, like 240 miles into like the 350 mile race or I don't know, maybe 260. It was somewhere in there. Day two, all the 200 racers start passing me. Like you, you pass each other. Um, and I was just like getting all juiced up cause I was seeing other people and I was like, this is awesome. And I snapped my pedal off in the middle of nowhere, like like right at the like bolt. I was like, "Oh my god, what am I gonna do?" And I like I tried everything. I tried taping a rock to my crank arm. Um, that did not work. Uh, so I'm like walking my bike, walking my bike, asking people that nobody carries an extra pair of pedals in a bike race, and. Uh, I called my support and I was like, Hey, can you guys come get me? They're like, Oh, you're pretty far back on the course. Uh, you need to get to a road before we can pick you up. I'm like, oh, fine. Like I'll keep walking to get out of here. And I'm walking and I like lay in the grass and cry. Cause I was like already quit in my head and I just keep going forward and asking everyone if they have a pedal and nobody has a pedal and I'm devastated. And then all of a sudden like out of a fairy tale, some guy's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like, do you need anything? I'm like, yeah, I need a pedal if you got one. <laughs> he's like, oh, is my crank brothers okay? I was like, are you kidding? So he totally hooked me up with a pedal and uh, disappeared. I was able to finish the race. No. Yeah, it was the, be- it was he, the best. He yeah, like no, disappeared like into, the, into like a cornfield or something. Yeah, he's like not a real person. <laughs> no, it was like that was like the most I ever. I like actually quit in my head, but oh, I had to get out of the backcountry. And then, and then this guy, I was like, well, I guess I have no excuse now, and I totally finished. That's awesome. So if someone's listening right now, they could be like, okay, I need to put a spork in my bike kit. Yeah, put a spork and like. And <laughs> maybe, maybe, no, I don't think it's like, I have like, first off those pedals I had done, like, I don't know, 50,000 miles of biking on. So that was <laughs> problem one. Problem two is that like, I have so much power from my legs and I ride a single speed bike. So yeah, yeah. I blame it on that. <laughs> too much power. Um, I'm too strong. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I, okay. So last kind of idea here was, 
have you had any moment where your mindset shifted because you know when you go into like you're not you started off and you're like i'm not a bike racer and then was there any moment because then you started winning races and setting records like was there a moment where that you can really define as like oh this is where my mindset shifted a bit um no not really like I like, I really enjoy winning. It is super awesome, especially like in the races that you really care about and like people that you've really looked up to have won these races. Like it is awesome, but like I also lose a ton of races. Like my local, I race in gravel. I'm terrible at it. So it's like because I try all these things that I'm not necessarily, I'm like, I'm not that good at day races at all. It takes like five days for me to even get strong. Um, so it's like not, I feel super blessed when I do get to win. I don't know that any mindset has changed. I just like trying my best and like helping other people try their best. That's and awesome. It's, it's, it's like, it's a community. It's a people. So yeah, that's yeah. what, that's what I get out of it. Definitely. Well, I'm about to take my daughter out on her bike. Cause we have like an hour and a half of daylight and it's super nice here right? in Colorado right yeah, now. That's awesome. So is there any message I should tell my daughter and be like, Hey, I just talked to this complete badass writer. <laughs> um, and this is what she says. <laughs> Keep in oh, mind, my daughter's so bike is covered in <laughs> unicorns, but her helmet <laughs> has a skull and crossbones on it, just to describe. Okay, that is so punk. <laughs> well, it's like kind of what I mentioned before. Um, I think you should question everything because when you seek the answers, you empower yourself and um, you don't need somebody else to do that for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. She does question everything, by the way. No, that, that's awesome. And that's how it, like, once you start questioning everything, like, you don't need inspiration. You just need to ask why, and then you'll find out and, you know, inspire yourself. That's awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was, I'm super inspired by you. And, uh, yeah, I definitely, like, kind of want to, like, follow along with your adventure from here on out. So where can people kind of, like, uh, find more information? Oh, that's holy. I like, I don't do social media. Um, I do keep a blog. Yeah. Um, but I also like, I only update it like after I do races. So it's like pretty much only about races. So Ooh, that's, that's, um, so it'll have to be through like all, legend. Like people will have to like be like, yeah, it's like all mystery word of mouth. The steel toed boot bike rider. <laughs> yes. You only know if, uh, you're my friend in real life. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, at some point, I would definitely love to to catch up with you again at some point. Yeah, for sure. Like, let's be in touch. Plus, like, you definitely should ride the Colorado Trail. It's epic. Oh, and it's um, tempting. This will be sure. a good, it'll be a good, I'm doing a, doing a big race here this year. I graduate in May. So I'm going to spend, like, take a little bit of time off and just play for a while. So awesome. All right, everybody, that wraps up this week's summer replay with Alexandra. Um, just I just went online, kind of looked up what she's been up to lately. Uh, there's some incredible articles, but there's this really great short film 
uh, about Alexandra called Identity and Endurance um, from Free Hub Magazine. Uh, I'm going to link that on our Facebook page. So if you want to watch and kind of see what she's been doing since we've recorded the episode and it's really wonderfully made it kind of goes into um all sorts of stuff about her personal story and and a lot of things that um we did not discuss on the podcast so uh definitely check that out she's amazing she's incredible ever since recording this she's been one of my uh heroes that i've been lucky enough to be able to chat with uh, for the show. I've also showed my girls um, some of her the adventures that she's done and uh, my girls love riding their bikes um, and I love riding my bike. I think there's something about it that makes you feel like a kid again uh, when you're on your bike and you're cruising around and I, I think I mentioned in the show like I see it in their eyes like when they start pedaling and they figure it out there's this almost like this freedom that is uh, accessible when you're on your bike, you know, and when you're a kid and, you know, and I'm guilty of this, I'm a dad and, you know, I'm guilty of telling my, like my kids at times I feel like I'm telling them what to do all the time. Or when you're a kid, like your parents are telling you what to do. Your teachers are telling you what to do. Like people are guiding you, which is good. Like you're a kid, you should be guided, right? You should have that um, structure around your life sometimes. But you also, you know, are training to be a full grown human, you know, full adult. Like you're going to have that freedom eventually. Uh, and so I think one of the very first um, moments of freedom that I saw in my kids' eyes was when they learned how to get on their bike. And it's just this pure, unadulterated, I don't know if I said that word right, unadulterated, that word, the word that I'm trying to say, you know what it is. Uh, there's this pure, <laughs> like untouched joy that comes from just pedaling around, even if it's just around our neighborhood, like I see it in their eyes, they're zigzagging and, and cruising along. And I just love it. I love that. I want them to... Like I, I really enjoy kind of when I see that and then I see the world through their eyes and then I get on my bike and I go for a ride and, and I feel the same way, you know, uh, I joke one of my, uh, coworkers, maybe we'll do this next week when we start work again, but we rode our bikes to school one day, uh, before school started so that, you know, teacher time. Um, so we rode our bikes to school and then we went on a bike ride after and, uh, you know, this is my coworker, Chris. He's like 12 years older than me. We're both full grown men, but we're like cutting through like secret passageways in the neighborhoods and like pedaling around. And I don't know, man. I was just like, man, I feel, I feel so much like a kid right now. It's awesome. So, um, bikes, they just give you a lot of access to those, those feelings. So, um, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I'm hoping next week to do a 14ers one, um, based off of some of the conversations we've had about these giant mountains in Colorado. So, uh, but like I said in the intro, we're wrapping up the summer replays. Uh, I'm recording a few new episodes here and there, uh, and then coming back strong in September. So, uh, yeah, so it'll be good season two, quote unquote, but, uh, but yeah, uh, we'll get back at you in a week or so.